Well, it's an honor to have those of you who are guests among us uh, today. And we do hope that you don't have to run right off after the service ends so we can uh, meet you and uh, get to know you, perhaps a little bit about you this morning. Um, I uh, uh, want to encourage you to do what you would expect every pastor to do, which is if you miss one of these sermons in Galatians, go back and get it. Because this this particular series is interlocking as the pieces of a jigsaw uh, puzzle. And uh, they build on each other, and in order to help a little bit, I often will be uh, sort of recapping a little bit of what's been said uh, in the last sermon. But I hope that uh, you will, um, well, make the time uh, to do that. Let's uh, pray, and then I'll get you up to, to uh, hear the word read. Let's pray. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, uh, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it, says the Lord. O gracious Father, thank you that your word has such power and we pray that you'd grant that we'd be renewed in our joy, we'd experience deep peace, that you'd roll back the barrenness of the curse in our own lives. Be pleased to open the scriptures to our hearts and minds now. We pray, amen. Let's stand. Our reading is from Galatians chapter 3. We're reading the first five verses this morning. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you're now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So far, the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. So as we're moving through uh, Galatians, uh, we're starting uh, to open up uh, in a deeper way uh, the gospel and how it really works in our uh, lives. And last Sunday, we looked at some of the technical terms that Paul uses to help us get a grasp on uh, the gospel. Now, it's not that the gospel is slippery, uh, but our hearts are slippery. Just take this little word, uh, justification. It's a very important uh, term to get a hold of uh, the gospel. And this word, justification, is not about what you did. It's about how what you did is viewed. It doesn't change what you did. It changes how it is that God views what you did. 
But the slipperiness of our heart comes into play in just this way. There's something deep within us that wants justification uh, to mean that we've been changed. We think formally, um, well, uh, well, we didn't have God. But now that we're justified, we've become good people. Formerly, we were bad. Now that we're justified, we're good people. But that's not what justification does. It doesn't change you. It changes the way God sees you. It means that God doesn't view you and he doesn't treat you as the rebel and sinner that you and I actually are. He doesn't respond uh, to us that way. The great uh, uh, reformer uh, Martin Luther liked to capture this with this little Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, which simply means uh, simultaneously justified and a sinner. We are still sinners who are now justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So if justification doesn't change me, and if I'm still a sinner, then how does change take place? Uh, Where does the power to live in a new way come? Well, that's exactly what Paul uh, wants to develop here in uh, these next couple of chapters in the book of uh, Galatians. He shows us how it is that we actually grow and become more Christ-like. Now, many Christians think that the way that they grow and change is by willpower. Justification means that I'm accepted, my past is forgiven, the slate's wiped clean, and now it's up to me. Christ is my example, and I ask God uh, for help, but in the end, it's I who do the obeying. Now, it's really that way of thinking about the Christian life and how growth isn't that much different than going on a diet, you know, trying to lose uh, some weight. You have to avoid certain foods. You have to restrict how much you put on your plate. Portion uh, control is a key part of uh, losing uh, weight. And it helps, you know, if you can figure out what those triggers are uh, that cause you to eat more than you should. Well, that's the same kind of thinking uh, that this point of view takes uh, to change. You know, if I can just figure out my triggers are for anger or lust or what causes me to want to lash out with my tongue uh, with somebody, if I can just figure out what those things are that provoke me and I can avoid those, well, I'll make progress. Or perhaps I'll uh, write up a little plan to how to grow uh, spiritually so that I'm centered and calm. Maybe I'll introduce some spiritual disciplines into my uh, life. And if I fail, well, I just need to try harder. Trust and obey. That just about sums it all up. But what if trust and obey is a little misleading? In our text, and this text, in spite of how it might appear on the surface, is actually one of the most important things that Paul writes in any of his uh, letters. Because it's here uh, that uh, he makes 
clear. He's very, very direct with the Galatians. He's not on a charm offensive. He gets right back to where he starts this letter. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. And the reason he does that is that the Galatians are on the verge of denying the gospel by their actions, just as Peter had. You'll have to go back in this series. I won't review all that now. But just as Peter had, it was if they were blinded, as if a magic spell had fallen upon them and they were missing the obvious. And uh, so it is that Paul uh, raises these four uh, questions about their spiritual experience, their personal spiritual experience. The first is about their conversion. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then there's the uh, question of completion. Just how is it that a Christian makes it to the end of the Christian life? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by uh, the flesh? Verse 3. And then there's this question about the cost of following Jesus. Did you suffer so many things in vain? if indeed it was in vain. And then the question about miracles and the meaning for the Christian life. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Essentially, all these questions come down to a single issue. Does the Christian obtain the Holy Spirit by working, uh, by working with the law, by obeying the law, or by hearing with faith? Well, these uh, questions make clear there are only two alternatives. These are the alternatives the Galatians face, and they're the same ones we face. Uh, we can try to go on in Christ... We can try to go on in the Christian life uh, by works of the law, by observing the law, or by hearing with faith, which means hearing the message of what Christ has done for us and putting our trust in Him. So the contrast is works of the law or hearing uh, with trust uh, by our doing or by what Christ has done for us, or to make it very simple, doing or done. And the Galatians were pulled toward doing, toward works of the law. Because the false teachers had come after Paul had been among them and said, you know, Paul's gospel, it's good as far as it goes, but it's a little def deficient. It's missing a few things here. Because if you really want to be uh, a part uh, and have a part of the people of God and be with Jesus, well, you've got to become Jewish. You've got to submit to circumcision. You've got to keep kosher. You most certainly have to observe uh, all of the law. And if you want to belong to God's people and have all the blessings of salvation that are promised, Christ is really not enough. You need this as well. Now, Paul, instead of simply saying, that's foolishness, instead he does something else. Now, uh, he won't have anything of this, but he, well, he reframes the issue. And often it's the f way an issue is framed that either wins or loses the argument. Uh, just take, for example, uh, abortion. Pro-abortion people have framed the issue as a matter of a woman's rights and a matter of the rights of a woman to control her health. 
pro-life people have tried uh, to frame it as an issue of the rights of the unborn. But for Americans, my personal rights triumph over, they trump all other people's rights if the unborn even have any rights. And so uh, framing things that way has never gotten uh, the pro-life movement uh, really uh, significant traction. And so what Paul does, he says, uh, you know, those people who've been misleading you say it's about belonging. It's about you taking on all uh, the marks of belonging uh, to the Jewish people. And Paul says, it's not about that. It's about progress. It's not about belonging. It's about progress. And then he says, the way that you make progress is the same way you began. It's right there in verse 3. Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Uh, Another translation, instead of perfected, says, attain your goal. And now this is hugely important. And the verb that Paul uses uh, here uh, in the the original uh, Greek means to finish something. And here it's in the passive voice. It's the second plural passive. And so it can be literally translated, you will be made complete. And in this he's describing the normal course of life. Uh, We all are striving to complete ourselves, to make ourselves acceptable to God, uh, to acceptable uh, to others, and even ourselves. And we trust that our efforts to uh, attain that completion will come uh, through our efforts, being moral, our work, our relational achievements. Um, So for those of you who are students, it might look like something like this. You feel complete when you have good grades, and you have friends, and you help your team uh, win the game. And it just feels really complete when all those things are coming together in your life. Uh, for many of you adults, you feel complete if you've had a successful career, made a good living, uh, are respected uh, by others, and are financially secure. Or you may feel complete uh, because you find a wonderful person uh, and you enjoy a romance. Uh, they marry you. You marry your best friend. Uh, and uh, together you live happily ever after. Paul says that believing the gospel, that is what you heard, means abandoning this entire approach. We stop observing the law to try to attain our goal. Now, before we became Christians, we really trusted in various projects to make us feel complete. But to trust in Christ is to launch a revolution uh, in what we trust. It, It is to look for something else for completion and wholeness and perfection in our lives. And it's so important to get a hold of this. And this is what James Proctor was getting at in the line in the old uh, hymn when he wrote, Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Or as Sinclair Ferguson's uh, put it, we receive the whole Christ, <laughs> not just part of him. And we don't add to what we haven't received. We receive the entirety of Christ. And the result of believing this is that the Galatians received the Spirit. 
Now, the Spirit's presence and activity in their lives is the reason they've had spiritual experiences. Did you receive the Spirit, Paul asked? Have you experienced the power and a person from outside of you so that you're born again, born from above? You boys and girls, it's not enough to grow up in a Christian home where your parents believe and come to church. You must have an encounter with another person uh, so that it's his power has come into your life. That's what the scriptures mean uh, when they speak about the Spirit causing us uh, to be born anew or born from above. This is an inward transformational experience. And it's the Holy Spirit who's the one that transforms us, who raises us from being dead toward God to being alive to God. Well, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Well, if you ask various Christian groups, you get various answers. I came to faith in a house church, and this is the answer I heard there. It's a second experience that's added on top of uh, believing. First, you believe, and you get a relationship with Jesus, and then you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Paul teaches uh, here. The Spirit comes in the very same way that he first came. He comes when you believe the gospel. The new birth that uh, Paul's describing here is inseparably uh, connected to believing the gospel. And so Jesus can say to Nicodemus uh, that we are given new birth through the Spirit. And Peter and James can say we receive new birth uh, through the Word of God. James writes, of his own will, he brought us forth, that is, he, he gave us birth by the word of the Spirit, that we should be uh, a kind of first fruits of all he created. Or Peter says, since you've been uh, born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The Spirit, in other words, doesn't work apart uh, from the word of the gospel. Now, the gospel is the channel of the Spirit's uh, power. And this is what the Galatians had lost sight of. They were thinking they grew in a different way than the way they began in Christ. And see, many Christians think this. Many Christians think, well, we're saved by the gospel and we grow by applying biblical principles. And we work out the applications of the teaching of the Bible, and that's how we grow. But we're not just saved by the gospel. We grow by appropriating uh, the gospel and applying it every day to our lives. This is not a subtle distinction. You see, many believers are taught something like this. I certainly was taught this. Um, that justification is by faith alone, while sanctification is by faith and works. As if sanctification were cooperative effort uh, between ourselves and the Lord. And that's misleading. Believers do not begin the Christian life uh, through faith and through the Spirit and then continue it by their own efforts, by works and through their own strength, which is what Paul means when he uses the word flesh here in the letter to the Galatians. Sanctification comes the same way justification does. 
It doesn't follow that they're the same thing. They are not. But it is by faith alone and through the Spirit alone. You see, all the good things that we are called to do, all the good works uh, we are called to do as Christians are the fruit of faith and the evidence of the powerful work of the Spirit. They are not generated out of our own resources. Now, at a practical level, this is hard. And why? Well, it's because we too are foolish and easily misled. You see, we're all driven to seek completion in our lives by looking to functional saviors, such as personal freedom, uh, control, comfort, respect, success, security. We pursue those things thinking they will make us whole people, they'll bring us peace, and they'll guarantee us the future we desire. Now, some people think like this. If I enjoyed personal freedom, freedom from interference, if people just left me alone, if I could get the government out of my life and nobody was telling me what to do and not having to set aside my desires and my plans or preferences for anybody else, then my life would be whole. It'd be complete. Some people look at control as their functional savior. They say, if I can just control my time, my money, and the people in my life. If you're married, it's your spouse. If you have children, it's your children. If you go to work, it's the people you go to work with. It's school, it's the the people in your classroom and your teachers. If they would just act the way I want, life would be perfect. And then things could be peaceful. If my life was comfortable... If my life was free of pain, if I had enough for all my needs and many of my desires, and I was sure that I would have it really for the rest of my life, then I could rest. I wouldn't need to worry, and I'd be happy. We need to realize that at the root of all our disobedience, of our failure to be (laughs) Christ-like, that's expressed in our character, in in our ordinary ways of being and relating. It's not because of a lack of willpower. And so we can't treat it by trying harder, by trying to summon more energy out of ourselves. Trying harder is simply relying on yourself. We need instead to see that the root of all of our problems is the particular way we try to control our lives through these functional saviors, which are really just a system of works righteousness. You need to take that in. So really, see, what did works righteousness do? It was a system to be right with God, to obtain favor with God and ultimately to put him in your debt so that he had to bless you. And that's exactly what we're doing with these things. We pursue these things thinking if we got a hold of these things, they would bless us with uh, what we desire, what we think will make life uh, good or valuable or give us a sense of purpose and identity. We grow by continually uprooting these systems, which is exactly the same way we came to Christ. You see, when you come to Christ, and this is clearer probably in adulthood, you realize at some point that you really can't make your life work. You simply can't make it uh, work. Even if 
everything seems to be working at some deep level, you realize that there's still some emptiness, there's still some lack of meaning in your life. And so what you do when you come to Christ as an adult, as I did, is you turn from yourself to Jesus Christ uh, for uh, life. You turn from trusting that you can make the kind of life you want to trusting that he will give you the life you long for. And what joy I had when I first realized that, when I first experienced that Christ had given me the life I longed for. And so we have to go back again and again to the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and raised uh, for us so our hearts are more and more gripped by what he did for us. We need to continually challenge ourselves to turn away from ourselves and focus on Christ. Just think of that uh, moment in the Gospels where Jesus is walking on the water toward the disciples and the disciples who are in the boat look at Jesus and Peter says, can I come to you? And Peter, as long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus, he can walk on water. And as soon as he looked at himself, he starts to sink. You see, Peter went from relying on Christ to relying on himself. This is what uh, happened, Paul says, when the Galatians first believed. Verse 1, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The word portrayed means vivid, vividly. It's not that Paul used pictures, but he used words that captured their imaginations, that moved their hearts, their wills, their emotions, their minds, so they delighted in Jesus Christ and were moved uh, by his sacrifice to love him, to trust him, and to transfer their trust. In other words, their hearts became satisfied in him. And what joy I had the first time my heart became satisfied in Jesus. It's just such an extraordinary uh, transformation. My parents looked at my life having been depressed for six months and thought I had completely lost my mind. That's what they thought because it was so transformational in, in my life. And until your heart is satisfied with Christ, until you're captured by his death for you, until you're moved by this, you will not transfer your functional trust from yourself and its functional saviors, personal freedom, control, respect of others, comfort, and rely on him. So let me, let me illustrate this concretely. Suppose you're having trouble forgiving. You shouldn't simply say, please remove my unforgiving attitude and give me the power to forgive. That simply doesn't go deep enough. No, instead, we need to apply the gospel. Paul tells us that our lack of spiritual power comes from living uh, by the flesh, out of the flesh, out of our own human resources, our natural selves, our own strength. And so our bitterness has to be coming from our flesh. We need to find out and ask what functional savior that we think we must have that's caused us to be bitter. What is it that this person has threatened or taken or withheld that I feel I have to have to be whole and complete and valued? Maybe it's respect. Maybe it's approval. Maybe it's even my security. And often deep 
angers because of something like that? The answer is not simply saying, don't be angry. Just stop being angry. Instead, we need to repent of our self-righteousness and our lack of rejoicing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. As uh, believers in Christ, we know that we shouldn't steal or cheat on our taxes. Uh, But if you experience a period of uh, great financial stress, and you simply don't have uh, the ability to make ends uh, meet, you may be tempted to do so. Uh, Even just being very anxious about your finances uh, can uh, move you in that uh, direction. But when we walk by faith, uh, when we're trusting in what Christ has done for us, we can say to ourselves, uh, if Jesus gave everything he had to secure our future, then we can trust him to provide for us in any circumstance. You see the difference? Instead of just saying, I shouldn't worry, instead, look at Jesus and say, He gave up everything for me. And I can trust Him to provide everything that I need. Or we could say the same thing about sexual sin. Sexual pleasure is intense, and the Lord Jesus. Uh, reaffirms what the scriptures say, that sexual pleasure belongs only in the context of a committed relationship uh, between a husband and a wife in in the covenant of marriage. To engage in uh, sexual pleasure outside of that is to uh, actually damage yourself. And part of believing is believing that God's actually describing uh, reality, even if at the moment it doesn't seem uh, to be so. But it's more, walking in purity is more than simply trying to avoid uh, sexual temptation. No, Uh, When we believe what the Lord has said, we have to tear down that false uh, Savior that says, I must have this pleasure now. Uh, I need it. I can't live without it. That's a lie. And instead, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal more of Christ's love for you, that your heart would be more captured uh, by him, that you would realize uh, that uh, ultimately in him you will experience all the pleasures that can ever be had. And that in this moment when perhaps that pleasure is not right, that you can trust him, that he will meet you in that need. Much spiritual growth is about appreciating what we already have been given in Christ. And that's why you need to feed on the gospel. It's why you need to preach the gospel to yourself. It's why you need to return again and again to the gospel. The principal reason to read your Bible and pray is not to be able uh, to feel good about all that you did or to have bragging rights uh, with other people, even if you don't brag out loud. It's not primarily uh, to grow in knowledge and understanding. No, the principal reason is is to... uh, Commune with Christ so that your heart is satisfied with Him and in Him. You will never outgrow your need of the gospel. 
and you never move beyond it. We need to rely on the gospel no matter what we are experiencing every uh, moment. It is, a, it is the truth and healing for those who have come to the place, and every one of you boys and girls has to come to this place uh, to fully receive Christ. You have to realize that at the, at the core, there's something deeply wrong with you. And the Bible says you're a sinner, that you don't deserve good things from God, that you deserve his wrath. And when you see that, the only hope you have is to come to Christ by faith alone. The gospel for those who have doubts. Now, there are days in the life of really probably every Christian that the whole of what Christianity teaches seems rather implausible. Is it really true that God loves me and has a plan uh, for my life? Does he really care about me? And when doubts come, the believer needs to go back to the cross where Christ died for him and to see his love. The gospel's for the discouraged. There are times when life is just gloomy and hopeless. There are times when life just seems impossible, like you can't go on. You just don't know how you can get out of bed and face another day. But with the gospel, we can say, I know what the real problem is. I'm a sinner living in a sinful world. And though I'm a great sinner, I have an even greater Savior who's loved me and given himself for me. The good news of the gospel means that even though we're lost, we're needy, uh, uh, sinners that we get discouraged, uh, we uh, want at times to give up. If we know Christ, we then know that we are and always will be viewed by him as those that are complete. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's a wonderful doctrine to live by. There is a Flemish painter named Hendrik Lies, and he illustrates uh, 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 what happens when Christians lose sight of Christ and him crucified. The painting is called Women Praying at the Crucifix near St. James in Antwerp. And the women are portrayed, as you would expect, with painstaking detail. Every fold in their, uh, their uh, garments is carefully uh, painted. And the garden in the background also is carefully uh, painted. And it, it, it shows the beauty of that uh, wall. But there's one thing missing, and it's the cross itself. Lay show the women at worship, but it's not the Christ they've come to adore. Uh, Hans Ruckmacher asks, so what do we see? He says, people in the past period full of faith and reverent praying, but we don't see the object of their faith, the crucified Christ. And this is precisely our problem in the Christian life. Sometimes we lose sight of the object of our faith, that Christ has been crucified for our sins. And when we bring it back into the picture, as our Savior not only died but rose again, then we regain our vision to live for him by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, may you be uh, pleased to open up these uh, truths to our hearts and minds. 
that we uh, would continue in the Christian life the very way we began it if we're Christians. And if uh, we're here today and uh, we're skeptical about Christ, may you be uh, pleased to show us whether these things are true. May your spirit uh, work in us this morning, we ask, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.